My name's Soph, if I've not met you before. Uh, and I am part of the team here at Cardiff Vineyard. I am delighted to be preaching today because I enjoy it generally, but specifically today is now officially my favourite time of year. Yeah. Now, I appreciate for some of you the fact that it's September is actually something of a touchy subject. I'm sorry about that. Um, though I expect there may be some parents in the room who are breathing a sigh of relief that the kids go back to school this week. Praise the Lord! Routine! Um, but I make freedom. <laughs> but I make no apologies that autumn is 100% my favourite time of year. I think it is just the best. I love it. I love it so much. The colours, the crisp weather. Is there anything better than it's cold but it's beautiful and sunny when it is? And you can wear scarves and boots again and socks. Do you remember socks? Oh, I love socks. But most of all, I love autumn and get particularly excited at this time of year because it is time. The time has come for a new pencil case. <laughs> it is a long time since I've been a student, but I still get excited. A passion for stationery is just with you for life. So I don't really need a new pencil case, but I may have to justify the need somehow. Anyway... There is an added layer of anticipation and expectation this year because this September, it's not just back to school and back to normality for us as a church. Oh no, this year is going to be different because at the end of this month, this wonderful, courageous and slightly crazy church is going to embark on our biggest adventure yet. As of the end of this month, Cardiff Vineyard will be a multi-site church. As you may know, myself and my wonderful husband Ian are going to be site pastors of the North Site, so it would be slightly awkward if I wasn't excited about it. I was like, meh, you know, could take it or leave it. Uh, I'm extremely excited, but let me be clear. The adventure is not the new model of the way that we do church. The adventure is what that means for how God can use us to restore the city and renew the nation. The opportunities that will arise to bless our local communities, to love our neighbours, the excitement and anticipation is because we're doing it for those yet to come. And I'd just like to take a moment here to honour James and Jen. Next Sunday, we celebrate 10 years of this church family, thanks to their obedience, their faith and their willingness to risk it all, to respond to God's call on their lives, we're all here today. Thanks to the community that they have prayed for, loved and led faithfully for a decade. A number of us in this room, including myself, have met Jesus and come home. Next week, we're celebrating all that the Lord has done and thanking him for what he's doing now and all that he will do. I am unbelievably excited, but just incredibly thankful for how you two have faithfully served the Lord and followed him every step of the way. So thank you, you wonderful, crazy people. <laughs> But the good news for them is that we're not all just going to sit back and watch them do it. I think it'll be fun, but we're not going to do it like that. I'd love to see them do it, but we all have a part to play in this. Um, over the next few weeks, James will be sharing about what it might look like for each of us to play our part in that. And I'd just like to say, whether you've been part of the family from the very early days, or today is your very first Sunday, you are invited. Count yourself in. You're invited to be part of this next chapter. So as I've been praying about what this next chapter will look like, seeking the Lord, 
I have been drawn time and time again to the book of Isaiah. And I think that's because it is full of assurances about God's character and his plans for his people. Now, as you may know, we've been doing Summer in the Psalms, and last week, Matt did a cracking talk to finish off our Summer in the Psalms series. The majority of the Psalms and the wisdom literature in the middle of the Bible is um, attributed to King David and his son Solomon. Isaiah comes after that, when the kingdom of Israel became divided. Isaiah lived in Judah under some of the kings there. Now, as a prophet, he was someone who revealed messages from God for his people. And the first 39 chapters of the book, there's a few different parts to the book of Isaiah. The first bit is generally spent rebuking the Israelites uh, because they had turned a deaf ear to the Lord and they had started bringing meaningless offerings. So it is not necessarily bedtime reading. Uh, However, at the same time, Isaiah proclaims great hope of the coming saviour. It is absolutely packed with prophecies about Jesus. So if you've not delved into it before, I'd encourage you to go away today and just look it up. But after the first 39 chapters of this big telling off, there's there's a huge sense during that, sorry, during those 39 chapters, there's a sense of God's promises and his salvation. The name Isaiah actually means God saves. I didn't know that. After that, it changes gear and speaks of the return and restoration of the Israelites to the city of Jerusalem, which had been destroyed. They're in exile in Babylon, and it's speaking of the promises that they will go back and they will restore. So if you have a Bible, now would be a good time to pick it up um, and turn with me to chapter 43. Don't worry if you don't have one, the words will come up on the screen, but I'd just like to set the scene. The Israelites had disobeyed God, turned to deaf ear, meaningless offerings, and subsequently as punishment, they've been taken captive and they're in Babylon, exiled. It's not great. The glory days of the kingdom of Israel under David and Solomon are a distant memory, and the city of Jerusalem has been destroyed. Yet despite that, despite God's judgment for the many ways that the Israelites had sinned, the prophet reassures them of God's faithfulness, his power, and his promise to restore them to their land and to see Jerusalem rebuilt. And it's these aspects of God's character that I would love us to just focus on as we embark on this next season. He is faithful, he is powerful, and his desire is to save and restore. So with that in mind, let's delve into Isaiah 43, verses 16 to 19. It says this, This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The first couple of verses here are a clear reminder to the Israelites of the Exodus when God parted the Red Sea and led them out of slavery into freedom. He's invoking a really strong cultural memory for the Israelites of God's strength and his power to overcome. The uh, astute people among you will have noticed it's quite similar to um, some of Psalm 77, which Matt spoke on last week, so I encourage you to listen back to that as well. There's kind of a theme about remembering the amazing stuff that God's done. And he's saying, look at everything he's done, and he's still the same God But today he's saying, I'm doing a new thing. 
God reveals his name to Moses in the book of Exodus as Yahweh, which literally translated means, I am who I am. It also means, I was who I was, and I will be who I will be. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he says, today, he's doing a new thing. So I wonder what he might say to us here at Cardiff Vineyard. I imagine it might be something like, he who made a way for a team of you coming down from Nottingham. He who has provided time and time again when we've prayed for venues and space to operate to bless the city. He who promised that the gates would open wide enough for everyone he'll bring. He who has planted visions and dreams among your people to plant new churches, to launch new sites and to carry the kingdom into their work across the city and go across the world. He who has brought students, asylum seekers, the broken, the thirsty, those burnt out by church, those exploring faith, those desperate for community, all through the doors of this church to become family. He who has done all of this and more is now doing a new thing. But if we look at verse 18, he says something very interesting because he says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. So why would he say that? Well, I think it's important to note that there is a distinction between remembering the past and dwelling on it. Remembering the past is really important. Um, In fact, in the book of Joshua, after God has led the Israelites over the Jordan, he stops the water so they can get across. He commands one man from each tribe to pick up a stone from the riverbed that would serve as a memorial of that time, of that miracle. He wants future generations to remember. And when Dave Kemp preached on that passage a little while ago, um, during our Joshua series, he taught us that God asks us to remember those moments to give us faith for the future. He said, biblical remembrance is a forward-focused activity. It's not about dwelling on it. So, of course, we will remember all of the incredible things that God has done among us. But whilst we celebrate and remember, we must be aware of the dangers of dwelling on it. The message translation of this verse says, don't keep going over old history. Don't keep going over it. Because when the going gets tough, and we might face some logistical or relational challenges when we become a church across multiple sites, I think the temptation will be to look back on this current situation with rose-tinted glasses and just be like, oh, do you remember the good old days when the refreshments were always delivered on time and the projector never failed and every team always had enough people to serve every week? I said rose-tinted glasses because I don't think that's ever happened. (laughs) But on the other hand, it could be that you found church hard and you can't help but dwell on the times when you feel like church has let you down. Or you might have gone through or be going through a season of life where you just feel like everything is falling apart. And we recognize that just because as a whole church family we're stepping into a new season, it doesn't necessarily mean that you feel like that in your personal life. If that is you and you're struggling at the moment to see beyond your current circumstances, I'd love to encourage you that we remain family when we do this. And Alice did an amazing two-part series. Those moods are great, aren't they? Um, they, She did an amazing two-part series on finding hope through suffering a little while ago. So find those talks, give them a listen. And I pray that you will be able to find hope in God and just cling to him in the midst of what you're going through. The Israelites had definitely been through the mill. They had been taken captive and exiled. Perhaps not ideal. Um, Yet God encouraged them not to dwell on the past because it would prevent them from seeing what he's doing now. 
we will need to remind ourselves not to dwell on the past, whether we view it in a positive or a negative light, so that we're paying attention to what he's doing now and everything that he's going to do. So I'd love you to just consider for a moment, are you dwelling on something from the past that you need to let go of? Is there anything that is holding you back from seeing what God is doing now? Maybe today is the day to put that down, to take that to God and be set free from that so that we can move forward. This passage compels us to remember God's faithfulness and use that as a springboard to propel us to have faith and expectation for the future so that we don't view it with fear, but with anticipation and faith. And in verse 19, he says, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And as I said, what's exciting about this new thing that God's doing among us is not the new model of church. It's what that means. It's what it means for how he can use us to restore the city and renew the nation through the vehicle of being a multi-site church. Because our bottom line, our reason for doing this is that we want people to encounter the life-changing love of Jesus. It is all about him. It is all for him. If nothing else, we long to just be captivated by Jesus. He is everything to us. And in the second half of verse 19, God elaborates on this new thing that he's doing. He says, I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now, I explained earlier, the broad theme of Isaiah is one of salvation. His name means God saves. There's so many prophecies about salvation. And God was promising the Israelites here that he was going to deliver them from their captors, return them to Judah and rebuild Jerusalem. He was making a way. And centuries later, God made a way to deliver the entire world from death to be reconciled to him through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus says of himself in John 7, anyone who's thirsty can come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. And that beautifully mirrors a passage in Isaiah, come all who are thirsty. And over 2,000 years later, there's us. And we are following God into this new season that he's mapped out for us so that we can extend the invitation to our city, come all who are thirsty. Come and meet Jesus. He is the way. He'll exchange your sorrows for joy. He'll take your spirit of heaviness and give you a garment of praise. He'll take your brokenness and give you life to the full. He'll sustain you. He loves you. He knows you and he likes you. He cares about you. He made you. And he died and rose again for you. And as we do that, as we extend the invitation and love our neighbours and carry the kingdom into our streets, that is how God will restore the city one life at a time. Now, earlier, I alluded to the fact that I came to faith in this very church, um, as so many more among us have, um, including the legend that is Ian Latty. Ian and his lovely wife, Em, are part of the team helping us launch the North site, which is such good news for us because they are amazing. <laughs> and I asked Ian if I could share some of his story to illustrate what it looks like when we share Jesus with those yet to come. He kindly agreed and he sent me this. Pause for dramatic effect. <laughs> I am thirsty. Um, he said this, before I was a Christian, life was pretty messy. Despite growing up in church, I had a turbulent time as a teenager, drinking a lot and taking drugs. By the age of 20, I was at rock bottom, desperately lonely and unhappy. 
I felt unloved and undeserving of love and happiness. Eventually, I decided to go to university and came to Cardiff. Good decision. One of my flatmates in halls was a Christian, and we would constantly talk of Jesus and faith, but only late on a Saturday night when I'd been drinking. She consistently invited me to church, and I consistently refused, believing I needed to have my life sorted before I could go to church. Eventually, she offered me a pint of beer if I would come to church, which I said yes to. (laughs) Whatever works. As soon as I came to Cardiff Vineyard, I felt so welcome and like I was coming home. I was concerned that being a Christian would mean I couldn't have fun anymore. However, since becoming a Christian, I have experienced joy beyond anything I felt before. I have learnt that even though I am a work in progress, I am loved and I am valued. That is why we're doing this. We exist for those yet to come. Now, as an aside, if you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you like the sound of that and you want to know more, then firstly, we're so glad you're here. And secondly, if you would like to invite Jesus into your life to experience that joy and freedom, then come and speak to one of us. We would love to pray with you. And I promise it's the best decision you will ever make. But moving on. It was my birthday a few months ago. It's the 5th of June, if any of you want to write that down, uh, just for future reference. And seeing as we did have such lovely weather in June, uh, Ian and I, my lovely husband, we decided to have a barbecue. Or more accurately, I started inviting people over for a barbecue and then told Ian how many people he needed to cater for. uh, Because he is an incredible cook and a bit of a hero, so thank you. Among our friends who came where some lovely friends who've also recently moved into the area where we live because they felt God was guiding them there. And they gave me a beautiful birthday present, which was completely unnecessary, but they are outrageously generous. And it's a print that says, where God guides, he provides. It's now up on the wall. Where God guides, he provides. With Isaiah 58 verse 11 written underneath. Now I opened this gift after the evening had drawn to a close. The embers of the fire pit were slowly growing dimmer. The fairy lights were being rolled up and put back. It was a bit sad, that moment. I could just leave them there forever. And I opened this and I saw the reference and I had to quickly go and find my Bible and open it at that passage. And what's amazing is that I had been drawn to that passage only about a month or so before and I'd written it down in my journal because it had been such an encouragement to me. So I wanted to share it with you today because I feel like it's God's encouragement for us. And it says this, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Isn't that such an encouragement? God is guiding us and he will guide us. That's as true for us today as it was for the Israelites when this prophecy was given. Now, the land of Cardiff is not quite as sun-scorched today as it was perhaps a month ago during the heat wave, but I love the imagery that as his people, we're like a well-watered garden. We have streams of living water flowing through us to offer to those around us. Come all who are thirsty. And verse 12 then goes on to say, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairers of broken walls, restorers of streets with dwellings. And I love that. God assured the Israelites that they would rebuild the ancient ruins of Jerusalem and restore the city to its former glory. 
And my prayer is that as we begin this new chapter of Cardiff Vineyard, as we pursue this new thing that the Lord is doing, as we bless our communities and love our neighbours, that we would be known as repairers and restorers. Repairers of broken walls and broken relationships. Restorers of streets and of dignity and of hope. So that's what it looks like to be the church. But what will it take for that to happen? It is one life at a time. It can feel overwhelming to think of a whole city or even just part of the city. But what would it look like to invest in one neighbour, one colleague? Could you commit to just praying every day for one friend and then be courageous and invite them to an event or invite them to church? That's how I ended up here. What would it look like if each of us as individuals say to those around us, come all who are thirsty? Or it could be, come all who are hungry for donuts. <laughs> so I'd just like to finish with this. God has done incredible things among us as a community. And he's the same yesterday, today and forever. So let's take courage from all that's gone before, the miracles that we've seen and the lives that have been changed. Let's celebrate and remember and use that as a springboard so that we face the future with faith and expectation. Expectation that God will use us to be restorers and repairers, that he will use us to restore the city one life at a time. Cardiff Vineyard, let's be expectant for the new thing that God is doing. I'd love to invite you to stand if you're able to and we're going to pray.